Hey, Through Crosses family, this is Pastor AJ back on the mic. We are going even deeper into the concept of giving. We heard from a lot of you guys, there's a lot of questions out there about tithing and offerings and where does it fit in the new covenant community called the church. And so we decided to record a giving special episode for you guys to dive even deeper into some of these topics. And so we got another awesome conversation about giving and let's give to the Lord. And so with that, let's go even deeper. Joining us for a giving special episode, Pastor Danny. Pastor Danny, here we are back again, talking about the same topic, clarifying some things, and uh, man, this is a big topic, giving. Uh, help us understand why we're back on the mic with a second round of giving conversations. Uh, if you uh, if you haven't listened to Sunday's sermon yet on tithing, let's give to the Lord, I'd encourage you to do that. It's right here in the podcast feed, uh, because on Sunday, we did two things. One, we we walked through a pretty powerful passage of scripture that talks about God's requirement and the blessing that comes from giving to the Lord. And second, we challenged all the folks in our church to make a tithing commitment for the year 2024, which in short was really just saying, will you commit to following this biblical practice of giving your first 10% of whatever comes in to the ministry of your local church in the year to come. And so if you're interested in that, you go to threecrosses.church slash tithe. And even if you're someone who already tithes, we're asking anybody, who, even if you're already doing it, just fill out a quick commitment card. You just put your first name on that. And we are just, just already kind of hearing some really cool stories of what God is doing as people are starting to trust him in this aspect of giving. And so... The reason we're talking about going even deeper in this topic today is not to belabor the point, but because as I have had some pastoral conversations in the last few days with folks about this topic, people have been touched deeply, they've been challenged greatly, but also some clarifying questions have come up pretty commonly about things that we didn't cover in the podcast and we didn't cover in the sermon. And so today I thought, you know what, let's cover some of these things that we haven't covered yet because like Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Our hearts are tied into our wallets so deeply. Let's make sure that we're walking into this challenge with open eyes and with a really healthy theology of what the entirety of scripture teaches around these topics. So we've talked a lot about the uh, the Old Testament um, so far. Today I'd love to talk a little bit about the New Testament and beyond. It's amazing. Uh, here we are at the moment where we need a going deeper episode on a going deeper episode. How much deeper can we go? Uh, it's an inception of going deeper. And uh, yeah, it's awesome. The Bible is great. So I can't think of anything better to do. Um, I want to start with like the main rub, the main tension point. Uh, it's, it's very simple. Tithing, that word, that term doesn't appear in the New Testament. And I think this is where a lot of the confusion comes. Uh, it's not a teaching of Jesus. You never hear it out of the words of Jesus, even though, as you said, Jesus talks about money more than anything else. Um, he never mentions tithing, and we don't see that commandment. Where you see tithing is all over the Old Testament. And we talked about that briefly in the last episode, but um, a lot of the, the pushback 
And a lot of the questions have come from, yeah, well, Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament law, the commandments, and now we're under grace. We're under this new covenant uh, where Jesus has set us free. We've been given new hearts. And so there's this new relationship we have with the law because Christ has come. He's died for our sins. He, he's fulfilled the law. He lived the life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve, and uh, rose again, has, is, is Lord on his throne. And, and here we are trying to live out our Christian faith uh, but we're under this this new thing called grace. So just a high-level question, before we even talk about tithing in general, I want to clarify what that means. Uh, when people say, Jesus came to fulfill the law and now we're under grace. So what does it mean when we say that Jesus fulfilled these Old Testament laws and now we get to look at something new uh, we get to look at topics like tithing or, or uh, you know, different ethic situations under this new covenant of grace. One of the questions that I got a lot from folks these last couple of days is, hey, Jesus fulfilled the law, and so we don't need to do these things anymore. You know, the same way we don't need to eat kosher anymore. We don't need to be worried about wearing poly cotton blends anymore, right? All these things we bring up, we brought up in the series in the fall about what the Bible says. Uh, and so Jesus has fulfilled the law. And so if the tithe is part of the Old Testament law, we don't need to do those things. That's the first half. The second half, that grace part, is people said, you know, this sounds very legalistic. So you need to do this, God says, or else you'll be cursed. And if you do this, you'll be blessed. So blessing and cursing terminology sounds a lot like the old covenant. And now we're under this new covenant of, of grace. And so I, I do want to point out uh, two things. One, salvation has come by grace through faith in both Old and New Testament. So sometimes there's this misconception that in the Old Testament, they got saved by obeying the law, but we get saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That is, that is not true. Salvation has always come by grace through faith. And yet what has changed is the covenant that God has had with his people. And so in the Old Testament, the way that they would find out about God's expectations and the way that they would find out about God's plans for their lives was through the law. And the law was kind of the way that they kind of learned the road to walk on in life. And yes, blessing and cursing in life came through obeying the Lord's commands as revealed in the law. So now in the new covenant, we aren't saved by works just like they weren't in the old covenant. We're saved by grace through faith. But what's been given to us in our covenant is not a rule of life and a law to follow, but is the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we want to experience blessing in this life, we do that by following Jesus, not by following a written code. As we want to discern what God's will is for our life, we can hear that from the Spirit, not merely through a written code. And so what has changed is the way that God communicates with us and even the kind of the core of what we're all about is about Jesus and following him and abiding in him, not by following the commandments of the law. And yet, all of us would say that there is still this code that God has given us. Following Jesus means following him into righteousness. And there are some things that God has said, hey, if you walk in this way, you'll experience my blessing. And if you will walk off of this path, you're going to walk into a place of cursing off the road, right? Jesus says narrow is the road that leads to life. And, and so part of it is walking with Jesus. We are listening to his commands as revealed through the Spirit, his commands as revealed through his teachings in the New Testament, and his commands as revealed in the entirety of Scripture. And so even in the Sermon on the Mount, which we'll start talking about next month, Jesus 
goes back to the Old Testament and says, let me show you the heart of the law so that even after the law is fulfilled, you can obey the spirit of the law. So it's Christians aren't allowed to murder now because we're not under law. But Jesus shows us that the seed of murder is anger and the remedy is reconciliation and relationships. And so Jesus says, it's not enough to merely not be a murderer. If you really want to walk the blessed life, or walk in the ways of the blessed life, it comes by watching your anger, by living in reconciled relationships, and just avoiding murder uh, is not enough, right? There's, there's a heart of that law that was written. And so part of the wrestling match of the New Testament is asking, what does it look like to follow Jesus as we walk in the ways of God as revealed in the entirety of Scripture and through the, uh, through the Spirit, through the teachings of Jesus? And so this this question of giving and tithing is one of those things. What does it mean in a New Testament context? Uh, not to obey the law, and that's why we give, but to give because that is what the heart of Christianity is all about. I've always found this conversation interesting because you, you look at the book of Romans, and, and Paul has this argument where he's saying, uh, now that we're under this, this covenant of grace, ought we do anything we want to do? And he's like, by no means. And one of the things I've been wrestling with is like this new covenant language found in the Old Testament talking about the law being written on our hearts. So there's something that that happens to our hearts when we see Jesus, when we follow him, when when we strive to, to live like him. And I love what you said. The Old Testament, they had faith just in a different material thing called the law. And now in the new covenant, we have faith in, in God's revelation to us through the person of Jesus Christ, which, which brings up some questions because um, I, I'm always like fascinated by the comparisons between the law and the way Jesus lived, because it seems like throughout his ministry, like you said on the Sermon on the Mount, he's always bringing up what it looks like to live righteously. And that's essentially what the law was there for in the Old Testament, was to live righteously. And so there's a whole bunch of debates about, um, you know, Christians being picky about what things carry over into the New Testament. Uh, what, what things like, say, kosher uh, laws that you had mentioned, food laws. I think sexuality is another one that gets talked about a lot. Like they're in the Old Covenant and they get mentioned but then we have this mysterious like bridge we have to get over to see if that carries into the New Testament. And so in our conversation about tithes here, how do we know that tithing is something that Jesus brings into the New Testament with this new covenant? How do we know that this is something we should track through all the way and, and instead of saying, yeah, we're free to do whatever we want now? Um, yeah, what's the tension there? So we have a picture of Jesus who has fulfilled the law. And so that is the primary interpretation lens that we use to look back to the Old Testament. So if someone says, why don't we sacrifice animals anymore? Well, we say, well, we look at the person of Jesus who sacrificed himself. And we realize that now that that sacrificial system has been fulfilled, we don't need the blood of bulls and goats to remediate our sins. We have our great high priest who's sacrificed of himself. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system, which ended it forever. And you see this curtain torn from top to bottom. We see the temple being trashed. So we don't need that anymore. Then you look at dietary laws and we see 
they were wrestling with that in a New Testament context until right. Jesus shows up to Peter and says, kill and eat, don't call anything unclean, God has made clean. And in this symbolic way, he makes all food clean, which Luke tells us in Acts. And he shows that the Gentiles are these clean people now that God has made clean by his spirit. And so we see a, a development there. On the other side with sexuality, we see in the New Testament, as the New Testament authors wrestle with that, they double down and say, mm -hmm. listen, we're wrestling with what to apply out of the law. And the major thing to make sure that as we're moving into these Gentile nations is that they abstain from sexual immorality as defined in the scriptures. And so they double down that that is not one of those things that's been fulfilled and we don't care anymore uh, right. because Jesus fulfilled it. But this is still part of God's moral law, like murder, that we're not going to start doing just because Jesus died on the cross. Right. And so we bring the same rubric into this idea of giving, and we ask, okay, how did Jesus fulfill giving? Now, first of all, Jesus was free from the love of money. Jesus was free from money, it seems. Uh, he talked about, I have no place to lay my head. I'm homeless. I'm an itinerant preacher. <laughs> right. Jesus gave everything literally. Uh, willingly, he gave himself. Unwillingly, his garments were, the only valuable items he had, garments were taken from him and distributed to his oppressors. Jesus was the one who fulfilled giving for us. And yet, when you look into the New Testament practices, we see that God does two things with giving that he tends to do with all these other aspects of the law that are renewed in the new covenant. He elevates them, like escalates them, and he illuminates the heart of them. All right, we see, again, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, we'll spend a month in this in February, but... Uh, when Jesus talks about things like anger or murder or adultery, he escalates it and says, listen, it's not just about murder, it's about anger. It's just not about adultery, it's about lust. Uh, he elevates it and he talks about the heart of it. Like, hey, there's something going on in your heart that needs to change. When we look at giving, we see an elevation of Jesus who gave everything. Then we see in the book of Acts, the apostles gave everything. It says they would liquidate their properties uh, not the apostles, sorry, the, the people of the church. They mm -hmm. would liquidate all their pro properties. They would lay it at the apostles' feet, just give everything. Uh, the people had everything in common, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4. And so the elevation of giving in the New Testament is it's not 10%, it's 100%. They laid out <laughs> all their money for the community. Like they had one bank account for their entire community, so to speak. And so they elevate it. But then also God goes to the heart of it. And so a lot of people who quote New Testament giving practices quote most of the teaching in the New Testament, which is about God loving a cheerful giver, not giving under compulsion, bringing your offering on the first of the week with a glad heart. And so what we see in the New Testament is it's elevated and it's the heart of it is restored where we don't begrudgingly give. We give with a cheerful heart. We give because we want to. But we also see that the requirement seems to be heightened, not lessened. And again, I'm not teaching that, and I don't think the early church even taught that we give 100% of our goods, but that, that's the lens we see giving through in the New Testament is it's the dial is turned up and the heart is brought to the front and center. I mean, you could even argue with the, the rich young ruler, like the element of giving all that you have is, is there. Yeah, if you're going to build a, <laughs> if you say, I don't like the tithe, I want to follow Jesus' teachings, it's everything. It's sell your possessions, yeah. give to the poor, give it all away just like Jesus did, which again, I'm not even advocating is what the church has always taught. The church has taught something closer to the tithe. But I think if we only had the New Testament, that's where we'd land is not only in a figurative sense does 100% of your money belong to God, but in a practical sense, what God requires of you is to, is to offload all of it 
towards the community, the clergy, and the poor. So if that's the case, and, and Jesus has elevated it to a level of, yeah, just everything, that's what we see the, uh, the early church doing, laying at the apostles' feet, giving all of this, and I love some of these passages that you're bringing up because it's like reminding, yeah, Jesus gave everything so that we might be rich as well. And, and I'm just thinking, like, where does the tithe fit in then? You know, we have this concept of the Old Testament. Are we trying to sneak it in to this new uh, ethic that Jesus has? Like, where does this practice of the tithe, if it's not even mentioned at all, like, where is the church seeing the need to bring in this, this concept of the tithe uh, to this new dynamic? Uh, what I brought up on Sunday, which I'll bring up again, is I, I think part of the reason we go back to the tithe a lot is it does feel like looking at the entirety of the Old Testament, and when I say entirety, I mean before the law, and even when they're not talking about the law per se, the tithe, and even this concept of first fruits, seems to be a, a governing principle that... I've said a lot that the tithe seems to be like the standard giving unit throughout the scriptures, that it's when in doubt, 10% is like the part that belongs to God. Part of that is where in Malachi 3 or in Genesis 4, where we get this idea that the first fruits belong to God. Um, and so it's anytime money comes in, there's something where it's like, before I'm allowed to cash out on this money for myself, I need to give to God first. And the common practice was the 10%. It's interesting. I think some people uh, look at the tithe and it feels like an unattainable goal, other people might use the tithe as too low a goal, you know, where it's, right. I don't want to give 100%, so I'll just settle for 10%. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. I just want yeah. to be safe. Yeah. So I, I would say, whatever you do, don't do anything to be safe, right? Like, what we do see in the New Testament is this stretch towards everything. Um, and so, you know, when you've heard people say, hey, the tithe is the starting point, I don't think it's because the New Testament says the tithe is the starting point, or even the Old Testament says the tithe is the starting point. But I think if you're trying to build a philosophy of giving around what the entirety of scriptures teach, that is the one portable unit we see in the scriptures is this 10th part. And so it's like, hey, I don't know where to start, but I'm going to start with the most basic giving unit in the Bible, which is 10% of what I receive. I'm going to give back to the Lord. So that's what we mean if you ever hear someone say the tithe is a starting point is you know, there, there's a lot of philosophies you can make around giving. Maybe it's 100%, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's somewhere in the middle. But it seems like if you're going to start somewhere, that's a, that's a principle that seems to kind of bounce from before the law to after the law, and even that was wrestled with in the early church. I think something you said resonated with me a little bit, where that 10% number is so rigid. And a lot of people see tithe, and they're like, man, that seems like a law, again, that's being imposed on me, and I'm under this grace thing. And and you said a lot of people see it as like, oh, nice, I only have to give 10%, so we'll just do that. But some people really see it as a sacrifice stretch. And I know the last episode we talked about um, this concept of a prosperity gospel that talks about, you know, uh, when we give, we expect to, to become rich in return. Where you, I love what you worded in the sermon. It was more about richly providing uh, rather than just merely getting rich. And yet, as you know, I hang around a lot of skeptic Skeptics? circles. <laughs> and, and one of the things that's... I want to hang out with you on weekend. Just kind of see, like, <laughs> where see are these places watch. you go? Who are these people you hang out with? It's, it's mostly YouTube, guys. Yeah, Social media, YouTube, TikTok. I mean, man, there are so many people. But uh, one of these things that, that keeps coming up is the inverse of that idea, this poverty gospel. This idea where, yeah, Jesus gave everything, so now I should literally go home 
after I listen to this podcast, liquidate all my assets and just get rid of it all. Is there a danger in that? Like, if, is there a danger in, in stretching that far? Um, because I know, I mean, man, if we're, if we're talking about ethics and the way following Jesus, it's like, yeah, he was homeless. He was an itinerant preacher. He, um, he, everything belongs to him. And he even called and said to that young rich ruler to sell everything and then come follow after me. Is there, is there a danger? Is that what we should all be doing? Uh, what do you make of that? Um, this new sort of poverty movement? Yeah, I think the, the danger I would see with the poverty gospel is I think as much as it's trying to like free itself from the love of money, the people that I talk to who are more like poverty ascribing people seem to be pretty consumed with money. <laughs> like it controls them in some way. Um, and, and I think that this, the way that you described what the poverty gospel people would look like doesn't look like how Jesus describes finance in the New Testament. And so the, the controlling image we get in the New Testament about us and our relationship with money is this idea of stewardship, that we are God's money managers. And he makes some bold claims, like if those who do well with what's entrusted to him, he gives even more. And those who don't do well, who hide it in a bushel or buried underground or whatever, he won't give any more. I think people can misapply that to say, well, yeah, do good with your money so God gives you more money and you could be rich. It's like, that's not what it's saying. But it's just as much not saying to get rid of it all. What it's saying is build an investment strategy for the resources that come in. And if you prove yourself faithful according to God's priorities with God's money, he's going to channel more resources your way, which I'm assuming if you're someone who does that, is going to use that to give more money away. And so I would say if you love the idea of poverty gospel uh, more than prosperity gospel, because like, I don't want to be rich. I want to give it all to the Lord. I would say don't meet in the middle, but the, the proper interpretation of that is, okay, I want to build a strategy to increase the amount that I'm investing in God's kingdom right. work. And I hope that I'm going to build a strategy that is wise so that more cash flow can come into that so that I can grow this kingdom of outlay for the kingdom's purposes. Um, and so it's not, sometimes it's you just give it all away. Um, I would guess most of the time, if you're excited about giving more money away, you want to build a strategy that's sustainable and you'd be delighted if God gave you more money because now you have more to give away. Where if you were poverty gospel, you'd be like, oh no, not more money. I'm trying to give it all away. You know? right. And so I do think what Jesus is trying to say is money's not a bad thing. It's a tool for ministry. And I would say the way that God escalates the Malachi 3, test me in this into the New Testament is the way Jesus did. Like test me in this. You can give every single thing away and I will still provide for you. So for someone who's like, I want, to, I want to do it. I want to spend the rest of my life giving everything away. Jesus could say, test me in this. I'm going to continue to provide for you. I provide for the lilies of the field. I provide. Don't worry about this stuff. Just right. do what you need to do. But I do think there's a portion of it's a financial investment strategy, not merely a get rid of my money strategy, mm. as we look at the teachings of the New Testament. And I've seen both. I, I, I've met billionaires who have devoted their life's work to giving away everything that they've accumulated that started with them amassing a lot of wealth and then they came right. to faith and now they're giving it away. Um, and I've, you know, I've also talked to other multimillionaires who've said, my favorite quote um, was somebody said, my, my goal in life is to have $0 in my bank account when Jesus comes back. Mm. It's like, this is a limited resource that only works here in this kingdom. Right. And so I'm going to invest it in God's kingdom. So when he comes back, there's no money that could have done good that mm. I didn't do good with. 
I think I think money gets very confusing a lot of the times. And I think one of the other confusing things when it comes to this practice of giving and stewardship uh, that you mentioned was tithing, but where you're tithing. And you you brought out brought to our attention this idea of tithing goes to your local church. And I could see the same arguments being made saying, well, yeah, in the Old Testament, the tithes went to the priests who were making the sacrifices, who were doing the rituals and getting really messy with the slaughter and all that. Um, but that passed away again with the Old Covenant, with this new covenant inaugurated by the sacrifice of Jesus we have something completely new. And so my tithe doesn't have to be limited to this place uh, where we have representatives, but it can extend all the way to different organizations. It can extend to really cool work that I really like going around the world, led by Christians. It can extend to all these different things called the church, because really the church is not a building, it's the people, and it's the ecclesia. It's where two are gathered, you know? It's supporting my Christian friend. And yet, you brought to our attention, again, tithing to this local church enterprise. The question is, is that just us posturing for money? (laughs) Is that just us as pastors at Three Crosses posturing for more money, uh, saying, no, 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 the tithe goes to your local church, which we happen to work and uh, provide for our family with, so. Yeah, the, uh, that's a... That's the tension that always exists with, with any of these things is when there's a delicate balance between what I'm preaching or what you're preaching also somehow benefits us financially or our organization financially. It's like we want to make sure that we're accurately dividing what the scriptures say because our priority is not to make our church rich or pay our bills. Our priority is honoring the Lord and teaching our people how to honor the Lord, which is interestingly the reason that I have never talked about giving at this level with our church is that very fear is I want to show some of the principles around giving, but the more that I've talked to people within our church community, they're like, we need to know what does God require of us? So I'm like, well, let's go into the scriptures and see. And so how I'd answer your question around, do we give it to our church? Do we give it somewhere else? <laughs> the first thing I'd say is this is something that churches have wrestled with since the beginning of the New Testament church. And so we've talked a little bit about what the scriptures teach. The New Testament church had some practices. We see this kind of 100% giving. I'm sure the early church knew that that's not normative for every believer. Even in the book of Acts, not everyone sold all their possessions, but a lot of people did. Um, There's teachings in the New Testament about paying your clergy, your prophets, your pastors, not muzzling the ox when Mm -hmm. it's treading out the grain is the proverb that Paul uses there. The idea of a worker is worthy of his wagers. Elders in the church are worthy of double honor. That's a financial phrase from the book of Timothy. So we we see these principles in the scripture, but then we have to wrestle with, well, how how do the nuts and bolts of those principles work in real life? And so one of the things that we don't talk about a lot because we preach the Bible exclusively here uh, (laughs) is that there's a lot of writings outside of the scriptures where the people in the earliest season of the church were wrestling with how do we apply some of these teachings to our context today. And so we've looked at 
We've looked at the epistle of Diognetus in recent months. We've looked at, you know, there's different epistles written by people who were discipled by the apostles. Uh, And and the one place that I would go to start to answer this question is a a collection of writings called the Didache, which is the writings of the church fathers, what, 200s, 2nd, 3rd century Mm -hmm. AD. So early church, very early church, when it was still in its infancy form and starting to spread and become established, they're wrestling with this very question. And I think it's, what is it, chapter 13, I think, they, yep. they talk about finances in the Didache, and they wrestle through this very thing. They have this idea of first fruits, and they say, hey, when, when, fin- when money comes in through the wine press, through the grain, right, all these agricultural analogies like the Old Testament, the first fruits belong to the Lord. So it kind of revisits the tithing principle from the Old Testament that we've been talking about. The first fruits belong to the Lord. And they challenged uh, their church, like, and that goes to our prophet, like our priest, our pastor, and they make the analogy because even though we are a kingdom of priests and we don't have a priest like in the Old Testament, now the prophets, the apostles, these, these people who hold these offices, these are our priests now. And so now our tithes go to these people, not to the priests from the Old Testament. So there's a kind of an analogy of okay, that's how we're going to lean into what we learn from the law in a New Testament context is we're still going to tithe, but instead of bringing it to our Old Testament priests, we're going to bring it to our New Testament prophets or pastors or apostles, these different offices. And then they also say, hey, and if, if you're in a, a really small city where there's no organized um, church with paid leadership, give it to the poor. It's, it goes somewhere. You're t- you don't not tithe, but your tithe can go directly to the poor. Um, but priority one is to pay for your clergy. Priority two is to give to the poor. Um, there's other teachings on alms, which is money set aside to give to the poor. That's my favorite quote in all of the Didache, <laughs> where he talks about let your alms sweat in your palms until the Lord directs who to give it to. And this idea that like always be looking for how to be generous to the poor. The Proverbs say whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And so it's all Old Testament principles in a New Testament context. So from the Didache, we learn we still tithe. We tithe to our pay the salary of our clergy. We also tithe to the poor, especially when we don't have a clergy. And then one convicting thing that that we see as we look at the Didache is they don't just establish a tithe on your income, but they also put a bit of a a tithe principle or a first fruits principle on your expenditures. So they say, hey, in, in our context, Anytime you open a bottle of wine or a bottle of oil, give the first fruits to your priest or to your to your prophet. Prophets, yep. Every time you buy clothes for your family, get the first fruits of that shopping trip and go to make sure your pastor is clothed kind of thing. So obviously we're in a different world now where you don't have to give me all clothes when you go to shopping trip. But now it's like we've figured that out through like salaries and all that. But the principle is when money comes in, the first thing you think about is I need to give some of this to pay for our clergy and pay for the poor. And then whenever you spend money, the first thing you think about is, if I'm going to the store to pick up a bottle of wine, I should pick one up for my pastor. That's one you could apply today. Uh, or, hey, if I'm, going, if I'm going to buy clothes for my kids, you can cut that out of the podcast. If we're going to uh, buy clothes for our kids, I'm, I need to buy some clothes for my pastor. He's got to wear clothes too, you know? Um, right. And so it's still that principle that the community of faith provides for their clergy through their giving and through their spending, which is interesting to me. Um, I'd love to spend some time personally wrestling, th- wrestling through 
what would it look like for me and my family to start tithing on our expenses? Every time I go on vacation, I'm going to set, up our, set aside 10% of the vacation budget to give to another family to go on vacation or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I just feel like, it's again, it's that how do we increase our generosity so that anytime money comes in, I'm thinking I need to give the first fruits to the church. Anytime money goes out, I need to make sure that our church is being provided for before even myself is being provided for. That's the spirit of that interpretation. Um, but anyway, that's, I, I would not say this binds us as much as the scriptures do, but I think that's actually a really helpful window when you're looking at how did people, a generation after the church began, as they wrestled with these things in their context, how do they apply the principles they learned from the apostles? And that's what they came up with. I love looking at uh, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 9, Sort of, it's in the context of you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads on the, out the grain. And Paul's essentially doing the same thing here. He's looking at the Old Testament law. He's looking at what is the heart or the spirit behind that law. And then he's applying it to the, the support or the, the payment of, you know, people who get their living by sharing the gospel. Preachers, prophets, all these, these different types of people. And he, he's making the, the case of, of why the, the church should be supported. But he says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And I love that because he's saying, look, the argument can be made, but in the end, I think me and you are just going to still preach the gospel because that's what we feel like we're, we've been called to do. And that, that's what the Lord has for us. And, um, you know, I think it's such a beautiful relationship, symbiotic relationship going on between the pastors of the church and the people of the church. So um, in that vein, we as a body have come up with different ways of giving. You obviously mentioned the tithing website at the top, which is threecrosses.church slash tithe. So if you want to learn more about what we're talking about, you can go on there um, do and some just, digging. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just so you guys know, first of all, tithe is T-I-T-H-E. <laughs> uh, and second of all, on that website, there's a couple things. One, we mentioned that that tithing commitment. If you are someone who is saying, I'm ready to step into this practice with the Lord, please go on threecrosses.church slash tithe, click on make a commitment. And we're not tracking it. Uh, we don't know your last name. Just put in your first name, click submit. We are praying that God would raise up more and more people who take this take this challenge seriously and with gravity and gladness in our church. And so we'd love to hear from you if that is you. But beyond that, on that page, you'll also see a link to the sermon and a link to, it'll be both of these podcast episodes. And so even if you've got more questions or want to go deeper or you missed one of these things, all the resources are right there on threecrosses.church slash Tithe. Are you saying we're going to have a, a third going deeper? I am not. I am not. Uh, but I would love to, though. I'm thinking like, there's all, I mean, I, my uh, mind keeps spinning around this idea of, you know, kind of like that idea of if you're clergy, if you don't have a clergy, give it to the poor. It's like, listen, you do not need to buy me or AJ clothes whenever you go buy clothes. But right. I would encourage you, if you want to adopt that practice, anytime you buy clothes for your kids, buy some clothes and right. donate them to an underprivileged family. Like that is a beautiful way to recognize that my money's not mine and it's not right. for me primarily even. I'm the secondary recipient of my money. First, it's for the Lord and his kingdom. And second, it's for the poor. And third, it's for me. Um, I love that mentality. Uh, but, and there's so many other things I'd love to geek out about if we want to do more podcasts. <laughs> you know, we think about for those people who love, if you don't love giving and you don't love this idea of generosity, cover your ears for a second. But for those of you who do, 
I love geeking out with people talking about planned giving, estate planning, uh, even just concepts of tax-advantaged giving, stock donations, all of these things that have been stuff that I've been wrestling with as my challenge we've talked about and many of us have challenged ourselves to increase our standard of giving throughout our lives. Some of that is like, how do we find vehicles to do that in ways that are going to make the most good out of these funds? And so if you're someone who's like, man, I love that challenge from the scriptures of, I want to be one of those people who uses these talents to make more talents, to bless more people. There's a lot of places we can geek out on that. So that's something that interests you. Send us an email too, because there's so many roads we can take for those who are interested. And it seems like it re uh, just enforces this idea of this keystone habit that you're talking about, where this 10% opens up this whole world of creativity, which you just mentioned, all those different ways you could plan on giving. And so I want to talk about how that creativity has emerged here at Three Crosses, uh, kind of following the money trail, if you will. Oh, okay. Uh, we've, we've seen... Follow the money. That's what seen, people say. Follow the money. <laughs> follow the money. Um, we've seen what it is. We've seen where it goes to the local church. And now, uh, what exactly does it fund? So what is our... Mm -hmm giving set up here um, and yeah, talk about how that came about. And yeah, when I do give a tithe to the local church, where does that go? Yeah, that's a, a fantastic question. I, I made the comment on, on Sunday that I think was what struck me most when I was studying the passage is that as each of us as, as folks who receive money from our jobs or receive money from the Lord, wherever we receive money, we're going to be held accountable by the Lord of how we spend that money. And then I also said, hey, for those of you, when you give it to the church, now, now the church is accountable for how we steward that money. And so let's make sure that we're doing our part. And then I'm going to have to stand before God, AJ. You're going to have to stand before God and said, here's how I stewarded the money collected as a right. church. And so just for transparency's sake, first of all, we are happy to be transparent about anything. If you have specific questions about money here at the church, most questions we're totally willing to open up. Some people have these really nuanced questions. They want to know like, hey, how much does AJ make each week? On this? It's like, <laughs> we don't reveal all that kind of levels of data um, for privacy's sake. But in terms right. of where the money goes, what our priorities are, our budgets, all of that, we're happy to open that up to you guys. But um, I'll give you a quick high-level view is that we try to live in attention. We have for a long, long time that we want to live in a tension between taking the stewardship seriously where God has called us as church leaders to steward these funds intentionally, and God is going to speak to us through the way that the people of our church rise up and give. And so we try to live in this tension of we have some different funds that people give towards, and we kind of take that as an indication from the Lord where God's stirring in people's hearts for us to donate more. Um, and then we use those funds to, to power our ministry. And so for folks who tithe, if you go to our membership class, you'll learn this in our membership class, that, that most of the time we just surrender our tithe to our church general fund. And so that's the practice that most people do is they give an undesignated gift. That's the, the beauty of surrender is it's almost like you write on the check, hey, use wherever you want to use it. Use it as wherever it's most needed. It's a surrender. So most of the people of our church tithe to our general fund. And our general fund is the fund at our church that powers all of our day-to-day -day ministry here at Three Crosses. And so that's the spirit of what we see in that Didache passage. It pays for our clergy and our ministry leaders and our support staff, um, the salaries they need to, to support their families. It pays for our, you know, we're sitting here in a room with lights and, you know, microphones. Mm -hmm. pays for our electric bill, um, which is huge on our campus. And so we're working <laughs> on some ways uh, to drop that this right. next year. We're really excited about. We can talk about all that stuff later. But uh 
yeah, energy bills, ministry budgets. So, you know, if, if anyone wants to run a trip here at the church, we charge whatever to cover the cost of the trip. If someone can't afford it, we always say, hey, don't worry about it. Um, and some of our ministry budgets can cover that. Or if we need to buy supplies for our youth group, the ministry budget supports that. Um, stuff like our ice skating rink, you know, the first couple of years, our ministry budget supported that. As it got bigger, we built a model where people would come and rent the ice skates and it pays for itself. And so the money comes in and out of our general fund. That's all of our general fund, all of our day-to-day ministries to transform the East Bay with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most people's tithe goes to the general fund. But as you go to our membership class, you'll see that we also say, hey, if you, if you want to designate uh, the, the funds that we normally would encourage people if they want to kind of designate their gifts out within their tithe is it includes the building fund as well, which used to be called the next fund during our last campaign, the building fund and our uh, missions fund, our global missions fund. So our building fund is a fund that, that we reserve money for in our church to do big projects. We need to replace our roof uh, in a big way. It's probably going to come out of the building fund. It's a big building expense. If we need to build a building, it's coming out of the building fund, right? If, we're gonna, if we do a capital campaign to build a new chapel, which hopefully, Lord willing, we can step into the next year or two, that's going to be money that comes in and out of our building fund. And so we have some people who just want it provide for the future of our church, and, and every month they give above and beyond or even part of their tithe to the building fund. Sometimes we do campaigns there, and we also transfer money from our general fund to our building fund every month for some of those deferred maintenance projects. And so that's building. Our missions fund is all the work we do around the world, and 100% of what goes into the missions fund goes out. And so like our missions pastor and our mission staff, their salaries do not come out of the missions fund. It comes out of the general fund. All of the money goes in the missions fund goes straight to the field, 100%. And so that's you know, sometimes that's short-term missions trips. Pastor Mark's in Sri Lanka and Philippines right now. Um, missions Fund helps fund some of those expenses for him to go and visit our partners overseas and bring reports back and all of that. Most of the money goes to support, I think it's uh, 80% of the money in that fund supports indigenous pastors in countries around the world, 23 different countries. 10% is these short-term trips. 10% of our missions fund goes towards career missionaries, Western missionaries in the field around the world. And so we've got a missions team that, that manages that, those funds with Pastor Mark, our missions pastor, myself. Um, and so that's our missions fund. And then our fourth fund, which is generally not part of our tithe, but kind of in the spirit of what we see in the New Testament church of having the poor being a, a second aspect of it. We have a benevolence fund that we used to once a month take an offering, a second offering for our benevolence fund. But people have been so generous to that fund, we haven't needed to take a special offering for it. And that's one that God has been blessing in amazing ways. We spend about 100 to, we tried to spend up to $200,000 a year to support uh, those who are either individuals in our church going through a hard time or folks who are um, disadvantaged in our local community or even organizations in our community who work with folks who are on, uh, going through hardship in different, different situations, extending the reach of our church and uh, ministry to people's lives. And so that's the Benevolence Fund. And whenever people give money to that fund, it all goes out um, to, to that. And so um, that's one where people just keep giving and we keep looking for new ways to invest in folks who are having a hard time. So that's part of the reason we always say, if you are ever in a season of financial difficulty and you're part of our church, go to our website, fill out the 
the support form on our care portal, and we'd love to, to see if we can do an assessment, see if our church can come alongside you, because part of our giving, above and beyond our tithing, is people giving money to say, if anyone's going through a hard time, give them some of my money, you know? And, right. and, and we have great stories of people who are supported by the Benevolence Fund, and then they get on their feet again, and they start donating to the Benevolence Fund, and so it's just been a beautiful kind of inflow-outflow way to support people in our church. And so our budget annually... It's really depending on what comes in. Um, we've had a great um, pleasure this this last year to see, last two years, to see our missions fund just blowing up. And so we've been able to give $2 million to global missions the last two years. Half of those funds have been through a nonprofit that Pastor Mark and our church leadership started to invite other churches into missions giving through our partners. And yet a million of those dollars came from our local congregation here. So we have a $2 million missions budget. We have about a $200,000 revolving benevolence budget, it seems, most years. Um, we've got this this building fund that, you know, we're doing capital uh, expenditures to kind of support our facility every once in a while. We do a big multi-million dollar project, but that's not an annual budget thing. And then our general fund is usually about six to six and a half million dollars is what it takes to run our ministry here in the East Bay. And so regardless of the fund, every dollar that's collected is pointed towards our mission of transforming the East Bay with the gospel, whether it's through helping the poor or it's through building facilities that allow us to use tools to present the gospel or running our ministry budgets and operations here. But um, we work hard and pray hard to steward these resources that are collected to reach the East Bay for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think echoing last episode, I think this is a big step for a lot of people. And, you know, if there's anything you'd want to talk about with with somebody, you know, out there who might be struggling, it's like, hey, reach out. We'd love to have a conversation with you guys about just the importance of this, what it's looked like in our lives, all these different details. But we got to wrap up because we've been a little bit over time. Did we go too deep? <laughs> no. We're probably going to need a third. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you uh, can always make this a two-parter if you want. <laughs> Are there any, any summarizing parting words that you want to give about giving so that we don't have to come back a third time? <laughs> yes. I uh, mean, we started with this concept from Malachi where God says, test me in this. And we said, hey, this is not saying, test me. You'll get rich if you give. But, but I will say from the Old and the New Testament – we see the picture that God gives us is that you can't outgive God. Right. You can't sacrifice your resources to give to the poor, sacrifice your resources to give to ministry in a way that's going to put you into the poor house. God says, trust me, if you invite me into your finances, if you discern with my spirit where you should give, and if you feel compelled to give and you give, I will provide for you. Test me in this. I'm not, this is not a strategy to end up homeless this is a strategy to change the world, and you'll marvel at the way that I continue to provide for you as you lean into my promptings in this area. So I'd encourage you to stay sensitive to what the Spirit is asking you to lean into, whether it's a number or a vision or a practice, because what we see in the Scriptures is God says this is something that is a spiritual practice, that the more you give, the more you get but not in a way to make you rich. More you get in the sense of, of the rich blessings of being in the center of God's will and seeing him providing tangibly for you. Not only that, just stepping into you know who Jesus is, like becoming like him, because 2 Corinthians 8 9, one of my favorite verses on this topic, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And so stepping into this rhythm of becoming like Christ and that's what we want for all of our people here at Three Crosses is for them to grow in their relationship 
with Jesus Christ and in their lives united in Christ. And so, Pastor Danny, I know this is a topic you enjoy. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably why. So you see a lot of opportunity for a lot of people to grow and become more Christ-like in their life. So thank you for unpacking all of this. And uh, man, if you have any more questions, yeah, tell keep us, throwing them yeah, at tell us. Tell us what questions emerge. This is great. We'll just keep throwing podcasts at you. So no, we won't. But Pastor Danny, thanks for unpacking giving for us. You're welcome. Thank you.